Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Recycle by Eurosport, a retrospective series on the most compelling, the most controversial and the most extraordinary riders and races in cycling history. Written by Felix Lowe and narrated by me, Graham Wilgos. Last time out, we went back to 1935 and the first Vuelta España winner, Belgium's Gustave Delors, whose career was cut short by the Second World War and who, in his life after cycling, played an integral part in putting man on the moon. For the final episode of this series of Recycle, we're going back to 1982, the last time before Yorkshire 2019 that the Road World Championships came to the UK. The 1982 Road World Championships title would go to Beppe Cerrone, the red-hot Italian favourite. But it was the actions of Greg LeMond who controversially chased down his American teammate Jock Boyer to set up Cerrone's win that made the headlines. A lot has changed since 1982, the year of the world's first computer virus, the invention of ciabatta bread, Ben Kingsley's Oscar for Gandhi and ABBA's final public performance. The Queen celebrated her Pearl Jubilee. Adrian Mole wrote his first diary, aged 13 and three quarters. The Falklands War raged for 10 weeks. Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher presided over record unemployment. And we all needed some escapism and cheering up. Perhaps that's why E.T. was the year's highest grossing film. Cerrone surged to a glorious world's win at Goodwood on the 5th of September 1982, but he had a helping hand from Le Monde. In the closing moments of the men's road race, and with his USA teammate Jock Boyer up the road after an attack on the final climb, it was American rookie Le Monde who led the chase from behind, much to the amazement of commentators and fans alike. Phil Liggett, commentating for British television, said... Well, 65,000 people here are being treated to a most extraordinary finish of the World Championship in Goodwood. Bowyer changes gear, he glances over his shoulder, he knows he can still do it. And Greg LeMond of the United States comes as well. Now, really, LeMond should not be doing this because he's bringing with him all the other riders towards his teammate. And one of those riders is Sean Kelly. The gap was being closed down in slow motion with Boyer coming around the final corner with just a matter of metres before the final rise to the line. Liggett continued... Round the corner comes Jonathan Boyer, and just behind him comes the whole field. Boyer now heading up to the finish. It's agonising for this, and right past he goes to Jeffrey Cerrone. Cerrone is going to take the world title. This is a tremendous finish for Italy, and look at the speed of him now. Cerrone washes by Boyer as he comes up the line, 
Cerrone of Italy and the Italians are going absolutely mad here on the line. Giuseppe Cerrone has won the world title. He throws kisses to the crowd. And in second place there goes Jonathan Bowyer. And I think Sean Kelly was third with a bronze medal. But Liggett was wrong. The man who came second was not Boyer, who, once reeled in by Cerrone, faded to 10th. It was instead the man who led the chase, Boyer's compatriot Le Monde, who held off Ireland's Kelly for the biggest performance of his career to date. Controversy aside, the Californian silver medal at Goodwood was the first for an American in a professional world championship. It was a landmark result that ultimately proved the harbinger of one of cycling's most fated careers, a sliding doors moment that saw one American squeeze out another, leaving a sour taste in the mouth and irrevocably ruining a relationship. Not that Le Monde ever regretted his actions. Jonathan Boyer, better known as Jacques, or Jock, became the first American to race the Tour de France in 1981. That year, 26-year-old Boyer was a teammate of fellow Californian Le Monde at the French Renault Elf team. Barely through his second decade, Le Monde was being groomed as Bernardino's long-term successor at Renault. Boyer had won the Amateur Corps Classic in 1980 before coming 32nd in his debut tour a year later. In the World Championships in Prague in 1981, Boyer finished a solid fifth place to underline his potential, with the Belgian Freddy Martins outsprinting Italy's Giuseppe Cerrone and Frenchman Eno for the gold medal. At the end of the year, Boyer left Renault to join another American, John Eustace, at the Sem France Loire team led by the Irish star Kelly. Intensely religious and steadfastly vegetarian, Boyer took a Bible with him to races. He refused to eat meat and was always seen with a ready supply of nuts and fruit, suitcases full, in fact, and a blender to mix them with. His atypical tendencies saw him dubbed un marginal, a recluse, outsider or hippie, by Renault manager Cyril Guimard. Le Monde, meanwhile, showed solid form in 1982 by finishing in the top three at the tours of the Mediterranean and Corsica, as well as Tirreno Adratico. His spring was somewhat derailed, however, by a freak accident in Liège-Baston-Liège. Posing for a photographer on a passing motorcycle, Le Monde skidded and ploughed into another rider, breaking his right collarbone. Sean Kelly, on the other hand, had won the first of his seven Paris-Nice titles in March before picking up a stage of the Tour and the green jersey. With ten wins to his name that season, Kelly was one of the hot tips for Goodwood, even though he had only one Irish teammate, Stephen Roach. But Cerrone, as winner of the Tour de Suisse, Torreno Adratico and the Giro del Trentino, as well as three stages on the Giro, was the big favourite. In the 1982 World's Race, the USA were a team in name only. With the sport still growing across the Atlantic, the US Cycling Federation also used the Worlds as a way of deciding their national champion. It was a system that did not exactly encourage teamwork. It was a crazy way of doing it, having the American Championships and the World Championships in the same race, Kelly says. It didn't help the riders to ride for each other. They all wanted to be American champion, so the Federation was, to an extent, creating the problem. Besides the small matter of competitive pride, there was the bigger picture to look at, and in this regard, Le Mans was mature beyond his years. As author Ed Pickering says in his book, The Yellow Jersey Club, the worst possible thing for Le Mans' burgeoning career as a major star would be for another American to win the world championships. Le Mans was clear in his self-perception right from the start. He was an athlete, but he was a businessman too. 
Furthermore, and this might have given Le Mans' final acceleration just a bit of extra zip, Le Mans and Boyer didn't really like each other. Their beef stemmed from their time as teammates at Renault when Boyer, fluent in French, would often translate for Le Mans in interviews with the French press. The young buck felt that Boyer was deliberately putting words into his mouth and giving the impression that he was jealous of his elder. In September 1982, the US Cycling Federation named a nine-man team for the Worlds, but only six showed up at Goodwood, probably because they had to pay their own way. Boyer had SEM teammate Eustace on his side, while Le Mans was close to the Italy-based George Mount and the two US-based riders, David Meyer Oakes and Eric Haydn, who was also an Olympic speed skating gold medalist. As Le Mans later said, I was wearing the US jersey, sure, but there really wasn't a US team, and I definitely wasn't part of it. I paid for my own trip to England, everything. There was no support from the US Federation. The team I was racing for was Renault. And with trade teammate Eno pulling out long before the finale, Le Monde was very much riding for himself and his future in the sport. A total of 136 riders started the 275km-long men's road race. Only 55 finished, however, after 18 laps of a circuit just over 15 kilometres long. The start and finish of the circuit was atop the South Downs in West Sussex, with the route passing along a ridge, negotiating a winding descent between beech trees, then taking in a loop of the famous Goodwood racecourse. Then came the only climb the two-kilometre ascent of Kennel Hill, which peaked at 10%, just before the Flamme Rouge, and after that, a gradual ascent on the finish straight to the line. Notable early attacks in the race came from France's Bernard Vallée, Sweden's Tommy Prim and Swiss rider Serge Demier, but each was brought back, largely thanks to the work of the powerful Italian team. Cerrone's squadra was undeniably the strongest, with the likes of Moreno Argentine, Francesco Moser and Pierino Gavazzi all pulling for the man who finished runner-up one year earlier. With a lap remaining, Spaniard Marino Lejereta was out ahead with a small gap, prompting a counter from Dutchman Henny Kuiper, who was closed down by Ireland's Kelly. The Italians helped bring it back together before Kelly got into another move just off the front. It was Kuiper's men in orange who then muscled in ahead of the climb before La Jareta summoned the strength to zip clear again as the road ramped up. It was then that Boyer made his move, reeling in the Spaniard and riding clear on the steepest section of the climb. But as his legs started to fade, he looked over his shoulder to see his teammate Le Monde leading the chase. Cerrone latched on to the younger American's back wheel before propelling himself past Boyer and on to glory at Goodwood. He was like a bullet and it was a sprint to the line for second place, says Kelly, who admitted to harming his own chances by probably doing too much chasing down the bigger teams on the final laps. I should have perhaps sat back and waited, but I was concerned a breakaway might have got away, so I was trying to get myself into a breakaway in the last couple of laps. In the end, I paid a bit for that effort. So, what was Le Monde thinking? With Boyer clear, normal team tactics would have seen Le Monde force one of the other favourites, say, Cerrone or Kelly, to make the effort to close the gap. If they did, Le Monde could have sat on and been fresher in the final sprint. If they didn't, Boyer and the Americans would win. But this was no ordinary race, and the Americans were no normal team, as stressed by Pickering in the Yellow Jersey Club. It was Le Monde who closed the gap. It was suicidal because his move was more of a steady acceleration than a jump, so it wasn't strong enough to shred the riders on his wheel, Cerrone and Kelly. It guaranteed two things. 
First, that Le Monde wasn't going to win, but he wasn't concerned about that. Le Monde rode for the second reason, to stop Boyer from winning. As well he might, given what was at stake for the American duo, who were riding a race for the Stars and Stripes within a race for the rainbow jersey. Quizzed about his tactics on the finish line, the runner-up, who later claimed Boyer had sandbagged him all day, did not mince his words. We aren't on the same team, and we are not friends. I would not like to see him world champion. Chased by Le Monde or not, Boyer would probably have been caught by the time the line came. But, according to Pickering, Le Monde's desire to make sure of it overrode any need for him to be seen to be doing the right thing. Looking at footage of the race now, it seems quite obvious that Boyer's lead was not big enough, nor did he have the kind of kick to hold off the irrepressible Cerrone. John Wilcoxon, the veteran British cycling journalist, described Boyer's chances as being as remote as the South Pole. That said, Kelly, who was still in the race and battled for third place, still believes that there was a small possibility that Boyer could have held on, especially if Le Monde had held off and the chase had been delayed. It's something, says Kelly, that we will never know. Kelly admits, however, that Le Monde probably had little choice but to ride his own race. Tactically for Greg, attacking at that moment was probably the only way he was going to win. Just grind it out from a long way out and make it more difficult for the faster guys. Le Monde later elaborated on his motivation. We were in the last 500 metres and Boyer had only about a 20 metre lead, which there was no way he could keep. I didn't think he could win and I didn't want him to. He's just not a friend. He's never won a professional race and I didn't think he was the kind of guy who should be world champion. Besides, Le Monde added, the only thing he could have done to help Boyer at that point would have been to throw on my brakes, crash in front of the pack and hopefully hold off Cerrone, a dirty tactic that was never an option. George Mount was scathing of the criticism levelled against his teammate and friend. What's Le Monde going to do? Throw his bike down in front of everybody because Boyer is such a good buddy of everyone? Hell no. Le Monde made a good move and a good sprint. Boyer was not going to win that race. The best he could have got was fifth or sixth. Speaking to Cycling News in 2004, Boyer himself admitted that his relationship with his compatriot never recovered after that day. I came pretty close at Goodwood, but didn't win it. That was another significant race in my career. Well, Greg Lamont did chase me down. He really didn't want me to win the race. He said that I didn't deserve it, didn't do anything, that he was better than me. Regardless of the rivalry between the two teammates, it could be argued that the Americans were a mere footnote to proceedings. Crossing the line for third place, Kelly could be seen shaking his head, but not in anger or opposition to Le Mans tactics. The shake of the head was because Cerrone was just so strong. He was untouchable. I don't think I could have done anything more to win it. I don't think there was anyone there in the final who could have matched Cerrone. He was much stronger than everybody else with that kick to the line. Two weeks later, Le Monde underlined his promise by winning the 10-day Tour de l'Avenir by 10 minutes and 18 seconds, at that time the second largest margin in the race's history. Despite that win, Le Monde's Renault teammate Eno said that he still felt the 21-year-old was not hard enough to make his Tour de France debut. What he meant, Le Monde explained, was I'm not hard enough yet to attack the Tour to win. You've got to be mature, physically strong to win. I think I could get 15th maybe even in the top 10 next year. But that's not what I want. What I want is to win the Tour de France. 
Le Mans would do just that in 1986, finishing ahead of teammate Eno in one of the most memorable editions of the race. It came after he finished third, behind Laurent Fignon and Eno, in his debut tour in 1984, then runner-up behind Eno again a year later after supporting the Frenchman to his record-equalling fifth, Mayo Jean. A year after coming second at Goodwood, Le Mans lived up to his name by becoming world champion at Alton Rhein. He soloed to glory in Switzerland by 1 minute and 11 seconds ahead of Ardrey van der Poel and Stephen Roach. In doing so, he drew a line under the episode at Goodwood 12 months earlier. In 1989, capping an extraordinary season in which he came back from injury to win the Tour by 8 seconds over Fignon, Le Monde took a second world title at Chambéry ahead of Dmitry Konyshev and Kelly. It was the second time the Irish star would miss out on the rainbow jersey that would always elude him. That was the day I thought I was going to win the Worlds, says Kelly. I was pretty sure I could beat Le Monde, Fignon, Stephen Rooks and the rest in the sprint. I was the faster one. But Le Monde was unbelievable and just incredibly strong that day. Boyer would have to wait another four years before his first and only professional win on stage six of the 1986 Tour de Suisse. He would ride five tours and the Giro d'Italia twice in his career, but never hit the heights of his countrymen. Boyer's life post-cycling would take a very different turn. In November 2002, he pled guilty and was convicted on 10 counts of child molestation. He was sentenced to one year in jail and five years probation. Since 2007, he has spent most of his time in Rwanda, known as the Land of Second Chances, where he played a major role in establishing the country's cycling team. The team began as part of Project Rwanda, a non-profit organisation working to improve the lives of impoverished people in a country ready to rebuild in the aftermath of one of modern history's most devastating events, the 1994 genocide. As for Cerrone, his post-Goodwood story was not quite so chequered. A month after being crowned world champion, he won Il Lombardia in the rainbow jersey. After three consecutive second-place finishes in San Remo, the rainbow stripes inspired Cerrone to victory in 1983 before he took a second Giro crown in May of the same year. So, no proverbial rainbow curse for the Italian. After retiring from racing, Cerrone became manager of the Lamprey team before becoming general manager at UAE Team Emirates. In 2019, the world's return to the UK, with Yorkshire famously playing host. After a week of torrential rain, it was Mads Pedersen who took the title in a three-up sprint with Italy's Matteo Trentin and Switzerland's Stefan Kung. It was a tense finish that gave us an unexpected winner, but nowhere near quite so controversial as what happened in Jock Boyer's wake at Goodwood in 1982. This has been the final episode of this season of Recycle by Eurosport. Written by Felix Lowe and narrated by me, Graham Wilgos. You can read more from Felix on Twitter at Saddleblaze and you can find me at Graham Wilgos. This series was produced by Pete Burton. You can follow Eurosport on Twitter at Eurosport underscore UK. Plus you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you've enjoyed this or any other episode of Recycle, please do subscribe, share and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.